know, like they say in this business, you never stop learning. You never do. So even when you think you've got it down, even after 15 years of doing this, I'm always trying to figure out what's next. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Out of Character with me, Ryan Satin. We are here with an awesome guest today, former Universal and WWE champion, the savior of SmackDown, Seth Rollins. Seth, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. For, am I your first guest on this podcast? Well, Is that I what's mean, happening here? I mean, if we're going to pull the curtain back a little bit, you're technically the, you're the second guest, but the first person that I'm recording with. So it's a oh, little bit of both. Okay. Yes. So I'm I'll, still getting I'll, used to this new set. I'll accept that. This set looks nice. Yeah, it looks good. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Your hair looks good right now. It's killing it. It's very wavy and stuff. It's uh, here in its natural beauty. <laughs> so since this show is called Out of Character, I want to start off the conversation by asking you this. How much of you, the person, like your real true self is there in the Seth Rollins character? God, I don't know, to be honest with you anymore. <laughs> um, I, I really don't. You know, I've been uh, the Seth Rollins character in some incarnation for the better part of uh uh, nine years almost eight and a half nine years and you know the arc of the character has been pretty wild and and i, I mean I, I assume there are parts of me in every bit of the character from the shield to whatever i'm doing now with his hair and these suits but um yeah i, I don't know how much of it is entirely me or an idea i have of myself or you know people's perception of me I, I i don't even know anymore it's just like it just kind of goes you know it just kind of the motion is just unstoppable at this point so you talked about that you know how there's been so many different iterations of your character it's constantly evolving and i feel like you're one of those people who is really good at reinventing themselves to keep things fresh on tv is that something that you usually push for behind the scenes because you want something new or is that just you taking the new creative given to you and making it your own well, honestly, it happens pretty organically most of the time um, where either a character has run its course, a story has run its course, and we need to go in a new direction. Um, but, you know, sometimes they just give me a ball and don't tell me which way to run. And I got to kind of figure out what that's going to look like. And, you know, that's sort of what happened at the end of um, the Burn It's Down iteration of the character. Um going to the messiah version i didn't know what was how that was going to look and you can see if you look at some parts of my career these kind of like little few month windows where i'm still trying to figure out what it is that i'm going to do and um and that was a big one most recent one obviously and so now um it's just yeah it's, it's about trying to kind of cultivate this personality that is different but um uh, not too far from what people are familiar with and that can be difficult sometimes too because you know the best wrestling is when it's real to life uh, close to life and uh, you, you know for me you can't go too far outside the box when it comes to my character anyway and what it does you know i'm not the undertaker i'm not bray wyatt so yeah it's been uh it's been an interesting ride to say the least and when i look back on it all it'll be pretty cool do you try then to root your character in reality in some way to try and make it feel as like much of a real person as possible then so that you're not like an undertaker or a bray wyatt or something like that 
Yeah, I mean, that's just always the wrestling I've been a fan of. Um, those are always the characters that, that were the most um, memorable to me or the most effective. And especially now in this era, in 2021, gosh, you know, everybody's so uh, formed, shall we say. And so um, it just seems that especially if you're really not going to like somebody, um, there has to be some sort of element to them like people have to believe that some of what i'm saying is true because if they don't then it's easy to pass it off as oh he's just playing a character he's just um brad pitt playing a role i, I don't really dislike him you know I, I need to dislike his real person and so there's got to be some element um that people think is real whether that's you know we do that on social media or something else to try to tie it all in because our, our real lives and our characters are so tied together you know, it's, it's a wild time to be in the industry, but yeah, I, I definitely, to answer your question, I definitely feel like there's gotta be a, a little touch of reality in there to get to hook, kind of hook people, you know? Is that why you've been using social media a little more, uh, what's the, I'm trying to think of the right word. You've been a little more, uh, uh, enthusiastic on social media, uh, with, with the WWE and stuff. And I've, I've liked, uh, that you've been using it more again. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I hate social media. <laughs> I really, I really dislike it. And, you know, I had deleted the Twitter app for my phone for the better part of a few months, just because it was, to me, it, it created a real toxic uh, environment in my own head. Um, and as I was becoming a new father, I was, I needed to not waste my time on that. And so um, it was actually my, uh, my fiance wife, to who kind of was like you know you should think about it you know it's i know you hate it and i know it's you don't like being on the the apps and all that but um you should think about it and i was like ah ah and i kind of looked around and you know no one was really no one was really doing it and so i was like well to hell with it i'll i'll, I'll, uh, I'll give it a shot see what happens and the response has been pretty good so far I love that Becky Lynch is the one that convinced you to get back on Twitter since Becky Lynch's character was so tied with Twitter in the beginning where that really helped her like catapult things in the beginning. So I love that she was like, hey, you know, it does help. Yeah, if you want people to hate you more, why don't you just uh, tweet? <laughs> it didn't work when you were trying to get people to like you. So, you know, you might as well just do it while uh, trying to get them to hate you. As a guy who gets a lot of crap on Twitter, I most people say they dislike me on Twitter. I completely understand that mindset of like, yeah, okay, it's it's easier said than done. It's that mental space is hard when you have people saying mean things to you on a constant basis to try and stay positive through all that is difficult. Yeah, it's a weird app, dude. It's a weird place to live your life. Um, and I think one of the things that she told me when when she was like, you know, if you're going to do this, you need to not, you need to understand that it's not need needs not to be taken personally. You know, you need to come at it from a different perspective. And, and I think if you do that, it'll be a little more freeing and, and it has been, but it's still, you know, you, you still take, it's hard not to take some things personally, but again, we go back to kind of some of the previous questions about that kind of towing that line of reality. I think if people think that, I'm taking it seriously. It kind of works better, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, we can have a lot of fun and type in all caps and all that. But I think when I, you know, if, if you, if you think that it really bothers me, if you think that it really grinds my gears, then it's probably going to be, 
it's going to give you more of what you're looking for, I guess. So yeah, that, that crowd loves it when someone say, feels but, gotten to. Um, They're like, oh, you're gotten to, you're gotten to. So yeah, that's that crowd loves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so God, you know, bless me for catering to them. I hate it, but here I am. <laughs> well, there's that, but you know, in the settings, you can make it so you only see replies from the people you follow. I recommend turning that on sometimes when, when, it, when there's a lot of them coming in. Yeah, nah, that, I mean, it, that's, we're too far gone on that. I, I agree. If you're a regular person, 100%, but if, if I'm doing what I need to do right now with social media, so that, that button is off. <laughs> I want to see all the negativity. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so you've been signed to WWE for like 10 years now, and in that time, like, like we talked about, we've seen your character go through an evolution. So I want to take a look back at each phase of Seth Rollins, and ask you some questions about those times in your career, starting with your NXT debut. What's the first thought that comes to your head when you see the young, blonde-streaked, band-wearing version of Seth Rollins walking out on TV for the first time? Uh, yeah, see, I, I was hoping we'd get a picture of me poorly slam dancing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one. Um, but, yeah, the... Um, yeah, I, that's what I think about is how awful I was at uh, dancing because that's just not my thing. But, um, you know, it was a thing and it was something that got you noticed or got, you know, people, you can't see that and go ignore it. You know, you have to pay attention to it. So the same thing kind of with the blonde hair. I was in developmental and there was a lot of guys with long, dark hair at the time, um, you know, Bo Dallas and, and Roman Reigns and Leo Kruger and they were a bunch. And so uh, I was like, oh, I'll just put a piece of blonde in my hair and, you know, if you leave a show, then some little kid's going to go, oh, that guy with the long, dark hair, but he had the blonde in his hair, you know, the streak or whatever. So it was just something to make you make me, you know, stand out from the pack, even if it was something small. Same with the dancing. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, that era was wild because we didn't know what NXT was going to turn into. You know, I, I remember being excited about it because it was easily a step up from what fcw was if you were familiar with that if you go yeah. back and watch any of the fcw tv shows um it was a, a step in the right direction and uh, we were all just very hopeful and excited and that character kind of was the embodiment of that excitement i guess and and um and sort of started to usher in a new era of work rate i guess in nxt um that wasn't really there before when it was fcw so I, you, you didn't were you not much of a slam dancer before nxt like were you not like when you went to a hardcore show or something like that you weren't the guy who was slam dancing in front of everybody uh no so i was the guy that was like at the edge of the circle that <laughs> made sure that everything was kind of cool because i like being around it i love the energy but i got no rhythm whether it be <laughs> salsa dancing or slam dancing i got nothing i'm not I, i'm i'm as white as they come when it comes to dancing i got nothing on that so um yeah i mean it was a, a far stretch for me to start trying to do it in front of people on television but um yeah i was the guy that's at the kind of the edge of the pit that kind of kept it open so that the, the kids could do their cool moves who did have the rhythm <laughs> i know exactly who you're talking about that's exactly what i was too and my best friend he went to go be like a screamo kid on the East Coast. And when he came back, he had all the cool spin kick moves. And I was so jealous. I would just stand back and watch. <laughs> yeah, I, I had none of that. I couldn't get my foot above my head to save my life. <laughs> uh, so, okay. So next we had the debut of The Shield in WWE. Uh, with almost a decade behind you, how do you feel about this phase of your career? Do you think it's one of the things that you'll be remembered for most 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to look at, you know, um, my career specifically, but all three of us really, we're all going to be tied to the shield. You know, regardless of our individual success, wherever we go, whatever we do, we're always going to be tied to that. And so to me, it's always going to be something that I'm really proud of because we accomplished our goal, which was to come in and really change the game. You know, when we when we got the call, when we knew what we were doing every week, it was like, OK, we're going to give everything we got uh, to make this not just good for us, but good for the entire business. And so all three of us gave it everything we had. I mean, the first, you know, I mean, it was a short run, really. But the first two years of the Shield, we were doing everything. We were on the road easily 300 plus days a year. We were, I was wrestling 200 matches a year. Um, we were doing media nonstop. Um, I was home, I mean, just one day a week, sometimes no days a week. It was crazy. Um, but I'm really proud of it. I'm proud of the work we did. You know, we did, we brought six man tag team wrestling to WWE. That didn't even, you know, it was, wasn't a thing really before we were uh, doing it every week on a high level. And so uh, those matches, those stories um, and, and the experience that I got with the top guys at that time was, um, you know, it, it's something I'm definitely really proud of, I think. So we then saw you join the authority, win money in the bank, and eventually become WWE champion. And you mentioned right there that you got to work with a bunch of top guys before that. But this is really when you kind of became the top guy. How much did you learn about what it takes to be a top guy in WWE at that time? Yeah, I mean, that was that was definitely um, learning on the job for sure. And to be fair, that's the first time coming out of the Shield, the first time that I really was a character of any sort that I really understood my role with my personality, but it was also the first time I really asked to cut promos at a length. Um, previously, you know, we shared the duties between the three of us. Um, and then even before that in NXT, it just, it wasn't, we just didn't do it. Promos weren't that big of a thing, you know? And so that's just the way the television was produced. But when we got to WWE and now I'm on my own, it was definitely I was called upon to carry longer promos by myself, but then I had to find, okay, what is this character? What, what sets him apart? And, you know, kind of being the weasel, the, the, the sniveling opportunist, whether you look at Ric Flair or edge were two um, kind of motivations for those characters, um, you know, and then learning under triple H and just watching how he carried himself, uh, watching how he handled things, Randy Orton as well. And Kane, I mean, these guys are, three top guys have been for, you know, a long, long time. And so I was learning how to get to that next level. I wasn't there yet, but I was learning how to uh, prepare myself for what was to come. Do you think that people who haven't been in that position underestimate how difficult it is to be the running through line on a Monday night raw to be in multiple segments where you have to learn where you have to basically carry the show as the main star for a little while. Do you think people underestimate how difficult that is? I think when people see it for the first time, firsthand, um, if you're if you're talking about you're on the show, when I say people, I mean like you guys in the locker room who yeah. want that top spot. I think when they see it for the first time, and um, I think I kind of gave that window to a lot of the younger guys too because I was sort of one of the first of our generation to get that spot. 
And so a lot of times, you know, you don't really see all the work that goes in when you're so far distance from it. When you are on the undercard working your way up, you don't see what John Cena has to do on a Monday or Triple H or whomever is kind of running the show. And so those guys and myself, that was the first time I really got to see it. And so once I realized kind of what it was going to be like from a week to week basis, not really having any idea of what you're doing till you show up at the building on Monday and then knowing that you're going to have you know, a, a two segment match and three or four backstage segments um, and, you know, maybe a promo to open the show. I mean, we're talking, it's a lot, it's a lot to take in. And so, yeah, it, it's overwhelming. And it was very overwhelming to me at first. And I, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself um, to, to do well because I felt like I was given the ball and I didn't want to mess it up. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. That's the thing that I think people who've never worked in TV maybe don't understand of like, how many promos, backstages, and matches in one night, how difficult that is. Um, eventually, you returned to the babyface side of things, and you started using the Monday Night Rollins moniker, which led to your third WWE title run after you defeated Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. How did this run as champion differ from the times before? Um, I mean, the championship run I had, the other two were as a heel. Yeah. So um, it was just a totally different, totally different vibe, you know. Um, I mean, the other one was just literally two seconds long, but still, the <laughs> the the, the, uh, the this one as a baby face was different because the landscape had changed drastically um, from when I won the title before. When I won the title before as a heel, I was young, up and coming. I had a lot of older guys to work with, um, and it's just easier to be a heel. When you're a babyface in this era, it is hard to keep people to like you, like keep people liking you. It is difficult because I think people's natural reaction is to, is for whatever reason, is to dislike almost everything. And I don't know why that is, but that's what entertainment has turned into. And um, and so to be frustrated, unsatisfied, or not like something, that's what's cool, especially when you're told you're supposed to like it. And so it becomes pretty hard to not let that go to um, your head. And so my focus was trying to just have good matches, um, have fun, tell interesting stories, uh, things that were different. Um, and, and, and I did that for the most part, you know, uh, I think, gosh, up until the very end, I was having a pretty good time, even though, um, you know, it wasn't maybe not my ideal um, run, but I didn't have, uh, I mean, I just wasn't working with, with uh, all the same guys that I was when I was a heel champion. So it was a different different, different type of situation for me. Definitely another learning curve. Um, so it, it's, you know, like they say in this business, you never stop learning. You never do. So even when you think you've got it down, even after 15 years of doing this, I'm always trying to figure out what's next and, 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 uh, and to keep improving my game. Yeah, it was weird at that time because you were, you were like, I remember everyone was like, super all in on Seth Rollins at the time. And then they just like out of nowhere turned on the internet. It was so weird to me. I remember being very confused by it myself. Cause I was like, well, I didn't see anything that bad that happened. And then suddenly like it affected the crowd for some reason. It was weird. Yeah, it got, it got weird. It got very odd. And, um, and as it started to permeate into, cause I would go to live events, um, None they are non-televised events and it, the response was not what you would see on tv so i mean the crowds were to me they were two totally different 
crowds. You would go and I'd be main eventing a live event against say a Baron Corbin or whatever. And, um, you know, the crowd would be a hundred percent, you know, let's go Rollins, you know, burn it down nonstop. And it was a party. And then you'd come to TV and half the crowd would, uh, the louder half of the crowd would just be up in my throat. And so it just <laughs> was like, it was very confusing. And I think sometimes it's, it pushes our um, creative process in directions we may not, uh, we maybe shouldn't be going. Um, but um, that's how it is. That's how the business is these days. And so you got to figure it out and you got to adapt. And if you don't, then you're going to get, you know, kind of left by the wayside. Do you think the Thunderdome has been helpful a little bit in that regard? Yeah. I mean, to an extent, I do think that there is still a lot of, um, I do think that social media still plays quite a role in how the shows are written and how the characters, um, the characters are portrayed. And so there is something to that, but I will say to your point, yes, it has allowed us to tell our stories a little bit cleaner in the sense that things aren't quite as up and down as they may normally be. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I sure miss the fans. I miss the adrenaline. I miss the live interaction. That's, you know, always been the bread and butter of WWE and of our industry, really. It's what it's been built on. And so I definitely miss that. But there are some things like I like being able to cut a promo um, and get all the way through it without having to kind of side eye the audience, you know? Yeah. And so when you're just at a live show, and you hear somebody talk for five minutes, it's boring. But if you're watching a television show, it's different. It's, it's the way we consume that entertainment is different. So it's nice to be able to get a full thought out um, <laughs> instead of being interrupted by, you know, CM Punk chants or something. Well, and I also remember, you know, before the pandemic, you had once said that the WWE audiences, because of, you know, people being so focused on instant gratification now and, and that being a thing that long-term storytelling wasn't necessarily as popular these days. But now that you've had the, the Thunderdome, I feel like it did give you the ability to be able to tell a long-term story like that between you and Rey Mysterio. So it was kind of cool that we got to kind of see it go all the way through without it falling off track because of the fans maybe booing or whatever. Yeah, like I said, you know, yeah, some of the stories overstay their welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we definitely were allowed to tell full stories, full fleshed out stories, then probably, you know, you, you wouldn't do six months uh, or seven months or whatever with a story if we were in front of live crowds, because you're right, they would get sick of it faster and would be it forced um, creative to have to kind of change its course. And so, um, you know, there's just two different types of writing. But yeah, I mean, I had a blast being able to do the story with the Mysterios. Obviously, like I said, things got a little carried away there at the end, but um, it was what it was. And so we, we were able to do a lot of fun stuff and, and to, to, for what, what it was, since we're on the topic for what it was, I was pretty proud of the eye for an eye match. Um, <laughs> all things considered. I liked that match. I know the internet loved hating on it, but I didn't dislike that match. I, I enjoyed it. It was different. You know, I like different. So I personally, I enjoyed it. I will say I would have liked it maybe a little bit more graphic of an ending, but that's just because I'm like a bad person like that. So, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, yeah, I thought it was I good. Mean, it's two different schools of thought, right? You're either like, oh, give me all the weird stuff and let's get crazy while we can. Because I mean, we can't do that match in front of a live crowd, really. So, 
you know, let's get wild. Let's do all the cinematic or quasi cinematic stuff we can, or you're like, no, I need my wrestling this way and only this way. So, you know, there, there doesn't seem to really be an in-between when it comes to that. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on the side that give me the weird. I love the cinematic matches. I love all the random out of the box thinking. And I, you know, when it comes to the pandemic, the fact there's no crowd, you can try all these different things for once. So you might as well it's, it, see what works, see what doesn't work. And then when, when the fans come back, we'll know and we can utilize them to, to however degree, you know? Yeah, I felt the same way. I'm just like, yeah, it does not hurting anything. You know what I mean? We can have a, a bland three hour raw and a two hour smackdown if you want in front of no crowd or we can try to do some wacky stuff and see what happens you know if, if it if it fails it fails if it's awesome it's awesome you end up with a boneyard match and uh you know you have memories that last a lifetime so there's some stuff that's really awesome absolutely i loved the money in the bank match too i, I might be one of the few of that one but i thought the whole wwe headquarters concept uh, was awesome okay so lastly we've got the monday night messiah character the savior of smackdown era how do you feel about the progression of this character from when you first introduced it to now? Well, uh, I, I mentioned briefly earlier that I wasn't really sure what it was going to turn into um, after the Hell in a Cell match, after losing the title to, to Bray Wyatt um, over in Saudi Arabia. I wasn't really sure what was going to happen or how it was going to look or how we were going to get there. But to be fair, if you look back at it from... <clears throat> When I first cut the uh, the promo in the ring, I would have been November, maybe around Survivor Series time or after Survivor Series time. Um, it was after Survivor Series. Um, you know, when I cut the promo in the ring and I'm standing there, you know, that character wasn't sure where he was going to go next. And, you know, he kind of got led down, um, you know, a dark path, so to speak, and, and found himself in a different way. And so I think the, uh, the arc of that story and the way the character actually kind of became this demagogue that cult of personality type sociopath that he is now is uh is sort of makes a lot of sense and in a weird in a weird wrestling world right and so uh especially if you look at all the things that i've accomplished and how i've kind of been um in my mind cast aside um and what that does to someone with a huge ego you know i just think that it's uh it kind of it kind of works, especially with I still have a ton of people on my side. So it's like, I don't know. I think we're in a pretty cool spot with it right now. I'm really anxious to see where it goes, but how it's gotten here has been quite fun. The slight shift from the jackets to the suits has been great too, because these suits are wild that you've been wearing. I, I are you picking these all out on your own, or are you getting a little bit of help here? Because I'm a guy. I can't. I know you have to get some help, right? Oh. Yeah, oh, yeah, we don't own? know what we're doing. I don't know what I'm okay, doing. Good. I don't know how to, I, don't, I can't, I can't pick anything out. You know <laughs> what I mean? I, I can't, I, I can't even like match myself in the morning. You know what I mean? I need, I need someone to tell me what to do with this. I don't know. I'm like, wait, black matches with black, right? That's, that's good. You know, that's all I got. Or like, basically, yeah, everything matches with black. You're good there. Okay. If I put on like a pair of brown, anything, I'm like, I don't know what goes with brown. Somebody tell me. So yeah, no, I, I got I got a dude who helps me out. He's been uh, he's been he's been killing it. Um, so yeah, hopefully we can keep him coming. I don't know. I'm starting to I'm like kind of starting to worry because I put a lot of pressure on myself uh, to, to get a new suit every stinking week, which is um, yeah, you know that's a challenge, especially trying to find ones that. 
people go, oh, all right. You know? Yeah, I, I had written that down. It was like, you know, John Cena back in the day used to have the jerseys for all the towns he was in, the throwback jerseys. But a throwback jersey is a little cheaper than a full designer suit every week, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's gotten a bit out of hand. Yeah, I will say it's getting a bit out of hand. And like trying to look forward and be like, okay, I need some stuff. Like I need some options. What happens if I just go with one and then, you know, it doesn't work or this and that. So it's, it's, it's turned, it's taken on a life of its own, shall we say. I feel you on the matching thing. I had to do a photo shoot for this podcast and I had to get clothes and my girlfriend couldn't come with me. So I, I literally, when I went into stores, I was just looking at the mannequins. I wasn't even looking at the, the clothes. I was like, okay, that's a full outfit. I'm going to, I'll take that one. Give me that outfit. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's all you can do, man. We're dudes. We don't know. We don't know how to do this stuff. Kudos. If you're a dude and you know how to do this stuff, you're awesome. That's incredible <laughs> talent because I have no rhythm and no style. It's a miracle. <laughs> I bagged Becky Lynch. Eh? <laughs> well, speaking of Becky Lynch, I wanted to switch to something less inside. You know, you've kind of mentioned a little bit, but, how does it feel being a father for the first time? You always hear about how having a kid can change someone overnight, you know? Have you felt that to be the case? Uh, I would say so, yeah. I mean, honestly, it was a, a huge learning curve for me. I, You know, I'd never so much as changed a diaper. I was always that guy that, you know, when there was a baby and somebody was like, hey, you want to hold the kid? I'm like, ah. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I don't need it. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, next time, next time we'll get them, you know, when they're older and they don't need to be helped. Um, <laughs> so I was that guy. And, um, and, you know, once I had, once it's your baby, once it's, it's totally different. Now it's like, it's the best. I can't, I'm already, I can't wait to get home just to hang out with her and smush her little chubby face. And um, it's, it's the best dude. She, I, I never imagined that I would like being a father as much as I do. It's a blast just to watch her every day and watch her progress and, you know, roll over or smile or whatever. She's just, it's, it's really a treat. And I'm super fortunate that we are able to have this kid during this time when I'm actually able to be home. I, I think about all the guys and girls who had kids while they were on the road and having to be gone all the time, not being able to be there. It's, it's really been um, sort of a blessing in the skies, this, this pandemic in the sense that I've had a much more open schedule to be there and to be a present parent, which is awesome. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure Becky loves having you around there to help with all those diapers as well. So yeah, she probably appreciates uh, uh, what I can do. She's uh, she's killing it in the mom game, though. She's doing so awesome. It's it's a, that's really awesome to see. Watch her be a mom. It's really impressive. And so uh, yeah, she, any help I can give her, she definitely appreciates. Well, that, that's great. I love it. Uh, you know, another thing that you do during your time away from WWE is run the Black and Brave Wrestling Training School, and it's got to be a trip for you to see your students get signed by WWE, to see a student get signed uh, by WWE already in Ben Carter, and to see others out in the world of pro wrestling getting some buzz as well. How does that feel? Oh, it's great, man. It's uh, probably been one of the more fulfilling experiences that I've had in the industry is being able to run a school. Because when we started the school, the reason we did it was because there just weren't any reputable schools in the Midwest, especially. There was nowhere that kids could go to get trained and to be able to have this facility now um, where they can get trained, they can come in and work on their craft, they can work out in the gym, um, they can, you know, pick my brain, all that sort of stuff. To be able to, like, take the information that I get on a daily basis and give it to the next generation so that they can be better prepared than I was. Because, man, if I would have had access to the information that I had 
at 26, 27, 28, when I was 18 or 19, when I was breaking in, I would have felt like I was light years ahead. And so I may not have understood all of it. I'm sure they, I'm sure a lot of it goes way over their heads, but you know, in four or five years, they're going to be like, Oh yeah, now I get it. And, um, and it's been an awesome experience, man, to see like someone like Nathan Fraser and uh, NXT UK be able to live his dream. Um, and partially because he came and trained with me, whatever hand I played in that, I firmly believe he would have gotten there regardless. I don't know that I helped him that much in the sense that he wasn't already awesome. But um, I do think that it, it, the fact that I played a small role in that is really cool. And to watch him succeed is, is really cool as well. And to see these other guys do their thing on the indies, is, uh, it's, it's awesome, dude. It, it's really cool. Yeah, it's got to be wild for you to be at that stage of your career now to where, you know, because for so long, I'm sure there was always the dream matches where people would put you against Shawn Michaels or, you know, famous legends or whatever. It's got to be weird for you to be the one now where people are like, oh, Nathan Frazier versus Seth Rollins. That's a future dream match. You know, the guy who trained him versus the new the newer wrestler. It's got to be cool to be on that side of it now, right? No, it makes me feel old. <laughs> Uh, it makes me feel like an old ass man. That's what it makes me feel like. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's cool. It's it's nice to be revered in any way. Um, but yeah, it's it's a trip, dude. It seems because it just doesn't seem like time has passed that much, you know. Um, I'm like, I I remember. I don't remember. I was talking to my co-trainer the other day, and I was referencing something that happened in like I don't know 2006, but I said it was 2016. And I didn't even realize that it was a full decade in between the actual moment that I was referencing it from. I was like, oh, it wasn't that long ago, right? He's like, you mean 2006, right? I'm like, oh, goodness, man. That's, oof. Yeah, so I just, uh, I, I don't mind getting old, but that is, that is, that is cool, man. It's cool to see that... Uh, it's glad that anyone wants to get in the ring with me. Let's just say that. <laughs> I, I completely understand when you were this week, when you're, when I was seeing that it's the 20 year anniversary of WWE buying WCW, I was just like, man, that makes me feel so old. I can't believe that someone could almost legally drink if they were born at that time. And I just, I remember <laughs> I, it so yeah. vividly. Yeah. That's, that's pretty nuts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> time just flies, man. And, now that we've had, I had this baby, it seems to be going even faster. So oh yeah, and, and the next thing you know, that kid's going to be in school, and you're going to be like, oh my god, what what is happening? <laughs> I know. I, I was telling Becky the other day, I'm like, just wait till she figures out who you are. You know, just wait till she figures out that her mom was the first woman to ever main event WrestleMania. Just think, just wait till she figures that out. How cool is that going to be? Oh. That's going to be awesome for sure. You should be, she's going to like to see all your accomplishments as well. So don't, uh, don't rule yourself short here. You know, you know, for it's, it's a baby girl. It's her mom. You know what I mean? Like that, that's cool, dude, to be able to see that that's your, that you can do that. You know what I mean? To know that you can do that. Like that's awesome. So when I pulled up to the Fox lot this morning, there's a big picture of your face on the side of it. It's you, Sasha and Roman Reigns. I think that's a pretty big deal. You know, it's the Fox studios lot movies are shot here and stuff uh, what do you think your child self would say if he knew that you'd grow up to be that big of a wwe superstar and uh i think he would tell me to do better 
<laughs> wow. I think he would, I think my child self, uh, well, my teenage self anyway, would be like, would push me to keep going. Like, you know, my, my little kid self would be like, oh, that's cool. You're cool. But I think my teenage self would keep kicking my ass, you know, he'd say, all right, well, what's next? Work harder. And um, I've kind of always kept that, tried to keep that part of my teenage self. I let a lot of that teenage self go, but um, I've always tried to kind of keep that chip on my shoulder as best I can. I think it keeps me moving forward. And so um, some of that stuff, man, I mean, my career has been wild. The fact that I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a lot of awesome moments and situations um, and then stuff like that, like you just mentioned that I would never, ever even dream of you know being on a poster on the side of a fox lot i wouldn't even know where to begin with that so the fact that that exists and that i'm a part of it i just feel extremely grateful that i get the opportunity to do that so i know this one is probably difficult but uh you probably have because because you have probably hundreds to choose from but what are the three moments that you think helped you the most in getting to where you are today Oh, three moments. Yeah, that's, oh man, that's really tough. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the cash in at WrestleMania is probably number one. I think, you know, if everything went away tomorrow and the world just stopped and whatever, uh, that moment would probably live on forever. It's one of those that, uh, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be replayed and thought about, and you know, it's one of those. So I would say that one definitely kind of put the stamp on, okay, Seth Rollins is here. He's not going anywhere. Um, then I would have to look back into my career. One of the most important things that ever happened to me was, um, so I'll tell, I'll give you two two more i think they're pretty good they're similar but they're pretty good and, and it had kind of less to do with me and more to do with people believing in me um and one of them is um working with nigel mcginnis when i was in ring of honor um that was the first experience that i got where the promoter gabe sapolsky at the time he believed in me more than i believed in myself and he put me in a position that he thought I was capable of when I didn't think I was capable of it. And that was huge to me. Uh, that working with Nigel, having the faith of someone that I respected so much to be out there and carry matches uh, and carry a main event story was hugely beneficial in elevating my confidence. Um, and then the same thing sort of happened when I got to NXT um, and I developed a relationship with Triple H. And our relationship was very rocky in the beginning. But once I took the time to humble myself a little bit and realized that I still had a lot to learn, that confidence that I had taken from Nigel and Gabe in Ring of Honor was only going to get me so far. And the truth was humility was probably going to get me even further, understanding my own weaknesses and understanding my own need to improve. When I finally got to that point, and I think Triple H understood where I was uh, mentally and decided that it was a good opportunity to give me the ball in NXT and let me be a top guy in WWE for the first time. So I think those three kind of 
instances or moments, so to speak, are really what gave me the confidence, gave me the humility, and then at the end of it kind of put a stamp on it and sent me on my way. It's always amazing to me how important it is for somebody else to have that faith in you, you know, like just somebody else being like, no, I see it in you and being like, oh, it's not just me who thinks that like awesome, you know, that someone thinks even more highly of myself than I do. I think that that's really what helps a lot of people take things to the next stage of their career. Well, we just I mean, nothing happens uh, alone. We don't do this by ourselves. It's a, it's a constant, um, you know, cooperative effort from tons of different people to get Seth Rollins onto your TV screens on every, every Friday, you know, in the iteration that you see, it's been years of, of, you know, hard work and not just from me, but from tons of other people that have gone into this and the fact that it happens and the fact that I get to live it is just, you know, that's a dream. And I'm very fortunate that I get to be the person to walk in this body and these shoes and gets to do these things and have these experiences to tell my little girl at some point. And so, um, yeah, it's not, but it's never just me. It's never just you. Anyone who says they did it on their own, they don't, they're, it's bull crap. You know, it started when I was a little kid and I had, you know, mom and dad and brother and grandpa and people to try to help me out to get me where I'm at today, all the way up until the fact that, you know, someone like you and, and Fox wants to put me on a, a podcast to talk to me about my boring life. Well, it's been very interesting. So uh, don't, don't, uh, it wasn't, I've enjoyed our conversation. I don't think it was boring at all. I've liked all of this, but we have reached the end here. Uh, and as usual, I like to close all my interviews with three questions about the finishing move of the person I'm talking to for you. That would be the stomp. So first tell me what's the best looking stomp you ever delivered. Well, the best one I've ever delivered. Uh, oh man, that's really tough. Uh, I've had a lot of guys who really, really tried to plant their faces as hard as possible. Um, a couple that come to mind, I think, are like Leo Rush actually took a, a really wild one on a Raw way back in the day. Uh, Murphy as well recently took a pretty, pretty gnarly one. You know what? I know what it was. Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam took a, 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 I don't even know what his body did. It was like, and that's Rob, right? But it was like, it's on a SmackDown from years ago, but I think pre-world uh, champion Seth Rollins. And it was one of the gnarliest, like his body did like a C and then crumpled up. It was pretty wild. I think I think that one might have been the, the, the coolest one I've ever done. Okay, so then what's one time you hit the stomp that you wish you could take back for whatever reason? Um, whew, one I wish I could take back. Gosh, I don't think I ever want to take any of them back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't take that move for granted. I, I missed it when it was gone. And so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't take any of them for granted, man. Those were, oh, you know what? Maybe, uh, Maybe one of the 12 I hit the fiend with or whatever in the hell in match. <laughs> if I could take back any of them, I would do that. Maybe at least one, if not all of those. <laughs> That's the perfect answer. And last, what's one time you delivered the stomp that was most memorable to you? Uh, probably the first night I got it back. I mean, 
look, the most memorable one is the one I actually didn't hit, right? The WrestleMania one with Randy Orton. Um, but I think that the one that meant the most was the night I got it back, which was, I think, uh, Finn Balor is who I delivered it to. Uh, that one had some extra oomph on it. I hadn't done it in a while and needed to make sure that I still had it. So apologies to Finn on that one. He always he was always a champ um, when it came to the stomp. But, yeah, I mean, that one meant a lot, man. That one's like – because that was like, you know, okay, you kind of develop into the finish, and then, uh, you know, then it gets taken away. And so it's like this kind of black cloud hanging over you for, for years trying to figure out another finish. And, I mean, you, could you imagine, like, you know, you lose – Austin loses a stunner for years. You know what I mean? That's, that's what it, that's what happens. All of a sudden Roman Reigns doesn't do a spear for two years or whatever, three years, whatever it was. So um, that first one back was pretty cool. I can't believe it was that long. You didn't have it. That's, that's crazy. I, that's such, such a, a good while. move. I did the last one at Roman at WrestleMania. And then it wasn't until build up to WrestleMania, like three years later or something that I got, that I got it back. Crazy. That's crazy. All right. Well, Seth, thank you so much. I know you got tons of things to do today. I appreciate you giving me all of this time. Everybody, make sure that you check out Seth every week on Friday Night SmackDown live on Fox. You have a great day, Seth. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Wait. Before we part ways here and everyone goes off to enjoy their WrestleMania week, I just want to give a special shout out to WWE and Fox Sports for partnering with the nonprofit Good Sports this Wednesday to present Special Olympics Florida with $37,000 worth of brand new fitness equipment in advance of WrestleMania 37. It's all part of the Restore Play initiative to keep kids active and engaged in sports throughout the pandemic. So visit goodsports.org to learn how you can help. That's G-O-O-D sports.org. Thank you so much to Seth Rollins for the time today, and make sure to subscribe to Out of Character with Ryan Satin on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. I have been so happy reading all the feedback from the first episode. This show is something I've had on my mind for a while now, so to see so many of you enjoy the conversation I had with Edge really made me happy. This is what I've been wanting to do for a long time, is just have long conversations with the people that I respect in the world of professional wrestling each week. So I'm so glad that you guys wanted something like that too. If you want to spread the word about this podcast, no pressure. Well, maybe a little bit of pressure. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. That sort of thing helps let potential new listeners know that this show is worth checking out. And it lets those platforms know that other people like you might enjoy the show as well. So hook us up if you've got some time. And don't forget to follow at WWE on Fox on social media as well for a glimpse into what the WrestleMania fan experience is like this year at WWE's first event with a crowd in over a year. WrestleMania, it's this weekend, guys. Fans are going to be at the show for real. I cannot wait to be amongst the WWE universe. I just can't wait to hear actual, legit crowd pops again i'm getting goosebumps just talking about it hopefully some of you who are listening to this are going to be there as well if you are and you see me out and about come say what's up i'm vaccinated super safe on my end to be able to come chat and say whatever so really come say what's up if you enjoy the show i appreciate seeing all the listeners and viewers of these videos okay that's it i'm done 
officially tapping out for now. Until next time, I'm Ryan Satin, and this is Out of Character. Download the all-new Fox Sports app now. <laughs> 